0: It is a question of how do you move fast enough to get into the market, to be patient enough to be there for the long run. It might not always happen as because you'd like it to, but really, if you get to know the market, you get to know the people and become really part of you know whatever that local market is, people will start doing business with you.
1: Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com.
2: Hey leaders, welcome back. I'm Noah Tetsner and I'm joined today by the CEO and co-founder of GlueUp, an all-in-one cloud-based CRM engagement platform for event and membership management. Transforming the way professional communities enable and enrich relationships, GlueUp has offices in 12 countries and clients in over 50. Eric Schmidt, welcome to Leaders of B2B. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show Eric. I gave a brief intro to Glue Up, but I'd love to hear it from the co-founder himself as it were. Tell us about Glue Up. What is the company and who exactly do you serve?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think you uh, pretty much summarized it pretty well, but yes, we, you know, are the engagement management uh, CRM platform um, specifically focused with a lot of member based organizations um, as well as corporate marketing groups who are looking to host events. And you know, we started in 2013. And, uh, you know, again, as you indicated, we are global. We have offices in 12 countries and continuing to expand. And, um, you know, we've got our awesome team members throughout the world, you know, almost 200 people now but uh still still not done and uh you know looking forward to you know a great uh, 2022 here
2: absolutely absolutely now w- you know that word CRM there's certainly a lot of CRM platforms out there but glue up is designed for event and membership management from a CRM standpoint what are the unique sets of needs that come along with clients and accounts operating within the event and management, excuse me, event and membership management sectors?
0: Sure. Yeah. So we were always looking at community. How do we help people grow their communities, whether that's based on members, whether that's based on clients, potential clients, how are we thinking about that growth and really helping people become part of something? You know, again, you know, the last two years, people sort of of course, being disassociated with many things because of, you know, again, working from home and, and the coronavirus and how that's impacted people's connections. We tried to supplement a lot of that with our tools and, and how we help organizations move digitally online. But really at the end, you know, we, as, as you indicated as well, an all-in-one solution, really we try to encompass everything. So from CRM, while being the core piece of the data, really it's the membership management, the automation that we do there. The events and how those members or clients are coming to attend events, um, and really bringing all that together. So it can be a community. We're looking at how do we think about really the growth of an organization through the people that they interact with and people feeling associated with the brand or whatever the cause is of the organization. Um, you know, and that's really the focus of what we do. Yes. I mean, as you indicated, CRM is a, you know it's a widely used term and, and of course there's many different products out there when it comes to crm but really how are we looking at the communities the associations the chambers of commerce the member-based uh sort of business networks that exist but then also around you know a marketing team's corporate needs and really trying to help them think about how are they growing their community of clients and, and helping them feel part of the brand and, and part of the brand experience
2: I, and I was just going to ask Eric. You just hinted at it, but when, when you say membership management, you know what types of organizations within what industries does GlueUp specialize in serving?
0: Yeah, so probably about eighty percent of our customers now at this at this point are chambers of commerce, um, associations, uh, and
2: sort of business professional groups. Fascinating. So then, remind me the year that you co-founded the company.
0: Yeah, so we started in two thousand thirteen.
2: Okay. Certainly. So, so that's interesting because obviously, you know, I know so many of us are tired about, are, are sick and tired of talking about COVID-19, but it is a reality uh, that affects all of us in one way or another. And particularly, uh, glue up, I would imagine, uh, seeing as you are serving companies and associations that were very, you know, at one time, and hopefully it's back to normal for a lot of these, these groups, uh, event centric. So, I'd love to just kind of hear, you know, what GlueUps role was and has been serving these associations over the last two years or so.
0: Yeah, so it it sort of has two different parts for us. Um, Prior to COVID, we were heavily, you know, I would say developing our emerging and, you know, developing market country strategy. And that was a big part of what we were doing, whether it was in Asia, whether it was in Africa, other parts of the Middle East. And, you know, so we had, you know, I was traveling 70% of the time to a lot of these markets as we were growing. Really from 2018, uh, we started that trend. When COVID hit and, and these countries, you know, of course, were, we're all hit, you know, as, as we were here in the U.S. by, by COVID, it really that digital transformation started to become a theme that you continue to hear over and over again. Data was stuck in an office on a server. We can't work from home all right, well, how are we going to help you transform to make sure you can access your data, your membership list, your financial records outside of the office? And that's where we started to play a role. At the same time, as we looked at sort of our, um, you know, our, what we call sort of really our tier one markets, um, with US, Canada, Australia, the uh, UK, those were the markets that for us really took off uh, even faster than where we were before. Um, and that, you know, again, people were trying to figure out how do we get rid of over technology, replace it with something that is, you know, cloud-based, but also something that is, you know, built, you know, this, uh, this century in some cases. But, uh, at the same time, something that's easy to use. Anybody can you know, work from anywhere and be simple. Um, and so we did see a shift of what people started looking for and how they wanted to use technology to, really, you know, transformed the way that they were developing their own communities and really grew up as a part of that uh, equation.
2: So COVID affected just about every continent. Do you serve customers in specifically like, you know, primary geographic regions? Are you, you know, looking at emerging markets as well? Tell us about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our, our story is probably a little bit different than, many of the company, you know, organizations that are probably listening to your uh, your, your uh, podcast here. But, you know, we, our stories is a little bit different in a sense that we started overseas. We actually started, you know, when I was living uh, over in China, uh, where I lived for about 17 years. And as, you know, the product grew, as our customer base grew, it really became, you know, part of the story that, you know, we went from you know, where we were and, and became international through that. And that was, you know, really for us, the transformation going from working within Asia and in the Philippines and Singapore and Thailand to, of course, again, as I said, 2018, we started to make really an international push, 2019 into Africa, uh, into the Middle East uh, and parts of Europe. Um, it wasn't until, you know, really COVID where that transformation took a second leap when I moved back to the U.S. Um, and, that was sort of our big push now in the U.S. market and in Canada. And still today, you know, because we have people in different parts of the world focused on different geographic regions, that's a huge part of the grew up story is really being a global business and really trying to help serve communities wherever they are in the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Forgive my ignorance, Eric, but, you know, the, the types of organizations that you serve, the trade associations, the chambers of commerce, et cetera, is an American who's very familiar with the overall structure of those organizations uh, within the United States, you know, say, let's say a chamber of commerce, is it kind of set up the same way in a place like China or is it formatted a little bit differently and along with that Comes a different set of needs.
0: Yeah. So China's a little bit different for us because in China, we mostly serve the corporate market. Again, the government, you know, has their relationship with the associations, but, you know, generally um, the digital transformation hasn't taken place for a lot of those associations or chambers of commerce locally there yet. Um, So we mostly work with the corporate marketing departments uh, within within China. Outside of that, um, yes, they're very similar in the sense of. You know whether it's in the Philippines or in Kenya, what they are trying to do, what they are trying to achieve, and how they go about things. Uh, while their you know business might be different in all these countries, you know a lot of them have tried to model uh, the impact that they can make. You know from you know what we've done here in the U. S.
2: Mm. Now, Eric, you're recognized as an expert on emerging business markets. And, and certainly this is a topic that is relevant to a lot of our, you know, uh, B2B founders and executives tuning in today. I'd love to dive into that a little bit more because I think your expertise in that vernacular, uh, could, could translate to relevancy for a lot of our listeners. But, but let me just first ask you a seemingly Uh, you know, open-ended question, how do you define an emerging business market?
0: Good question. I I think for us, it's, you know, as we look at, you know, really the developed markets, you know, whether it's, you know, North America or, you know, Europe, these places obviously have rules in place. There's, you know, an economy that, you know, political system is fairly stable. You know, a lot of places where we consider emerging are very much, their GDP historically has been growing very quickly. They're, their population is also growing very rapidly. So if you look at a place like Nigeria, you know, massive population growth and certainly the number of people under 25 is a, is a huge number. For, and so for us, you know, it's really, we, we love working that there because there's an excitement. There's a feeling to it. Um, that, uh, you know, that you get in those kind of places where things are moving and people want to move fast. People want to do business. People want to grow their, you know, their local economy. And, and, and that's exciting to see. Uh, and that's why we love being a part of you know all of those places where we've done business. Every place is a little bit different, but you know, um, you know it's just exciting to, to be part of it.
2: Yeah, most definitely. So, you know, let's say that there's a a B two B SaaS company. You know, some some key members of of that team from a company like that tuning in today. Which of course there are. You know, when preparing to enter an emerging market, what are some Basic pieces of advice, critical pieces of advice that those executives should keep in mind if they've not done that before.
0: Yeah, I think one of the key things is be prepared for them. You know, unprepared, because again, in most of these places, people move fast, but not necessarily always with the same strategy that you would be used to. You know, here in the United States, I think you know in the United States we like to plan. Um, that was an adjustment for me coming back to the U.S. where you know, whether I was in China, whether I was in any part of the world, generally people are trying to plan a couple of days in advance because things are moving so fast, you don't know what you're going to be doing two weeks from now. Um, here in the US, people are putting meetings on a calendar two, three weeks in advance because they can plan their schedule. Um, but that's not necessarily the case in, in a lot of those places. So when you take that back to strategic planning, you know, really it is a, a question of how do you move fast enough to get into the market, to be patient enough to be there for the long run, it might not always happen because you'd like it to, but really, if you get to know the market, you get to know the people and become really part of, you know, whatever that local market is, people will start doing business with you. And that's where, you know, what we're used to here in the U.S. is, hey, if I got a great product, someone's going to buy it because I have a great product. In a lot of these other places, it's not always just about the product. It's about the trust, it's about the, the relationships that you've developed with that local society over time. And I think that's where, you know, we've tried to make sure in all of our markets where we do business, we try to show a commitment to the community, the, um, not only because it's part of our mission, but, you know, because it is part of how we want to do business in a lot of these places, so whether it's with our local team members um, or the people that we do business with, it is very important. Um, doing business in a lot of these places is not always simple. Um, and, you know, I know as you think about, you know, board members, uh, here in the U.S. who are thinking about doing business, whether it's in China or, you know, in Africa, um, the threshold for, you know, um, I would say a gray area of doing business is, is pretty clear where that is. It's black and white. And again, I, I'm not saying that people should cross the line and we certainly don't either. But you have to understand that in those in a lot of these markets, um, there is a big gray area when it comes to doing business there. So what is your company's threshold for making sure you don't cross that line and all your people, you know, around the world, wherever that may be, know exactly what you stand for and, and what that means when you're doing business in these local markets. It's never simple, but at the same time, you know, very rewarding when you can take, you know, a local organization that's your client and you can see their growth. Because that's, you know, really the kind of impact that you can have. You might not make, you know, the you know, kind of money per customer that you're making in the United States. But if you're you know, really trying to achieve your mission, how do you really achieve your mission? Not only to people that have a big dollar amount, but also people who need the solution. And, you know, uh, they can actually show some awesome things that they've done with it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, Eric, you've had an illustrious career. Uh, A lot of it has been attached to the the country of China, which is a fascinating economy and ecosystem for a variety of reasons. You were elected member of American Chamber of Commerce and China's Board of Governors for three years, 2017, 2018, and 2019. Tell us about, you know, how your journey, I guess, took you to the the country of China. And the reason why I ask is because obviously that's kind of where glue up got its its start in a way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, China was one of those things where just sort of happened. Uh, Everybody goes through university. I finished my master's and, you know, was looking to do something different. And uh, it just so happened that one of the projects that I was working on was uh, a business plan uh, for a technology park in, in the Middle East. And my professor decided one day that, hey, I'm going to introduce you to the Chinese business professor here. Um, I'm actually, I did not take his class, but uh, I was introduced to him. Sat down with him the day after graduation, and uh, he said, "Hey, you know, China's a place to be an entrepreneur. Why don't you come over? I'll introduce you to a few people. This this could be interesting." And you know, at the time, looking for different things to do, looking for a little bit of an adventure, I took him up on it, and um, you know hopped on a plane to China a few months later and uh, started my first company there. It definitely was, a, I would say, a second learning, a real learning of business because, you know, again, as as it is, you, know, you learn things by the book and what the professors teach you in class, but you know, once you're in a market like China, it's not exactly as what you would expect.
2: Mm. And then Glue Up serves... An interesting segment of the market, you know, those looking for event and membership management, you know, you founded the company while you were in China. Tell us about, you know, how you realized that there was a a need for this solution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in 2003, after I had made many mistakes of being an entrepreneur, um, I actually started talking to other, you know, I would say, we like to say stupid foreigners like myself who, you know, made many mistakes along the way. Um, but we all had similar problems and, and challenges. So I started gathering people together on, you know, a monthly evening event, as people would today call a meetup or, you know, something similar. But back then that didn't exist. So we started doing uh, these events. At the time, it was called China Entrepreneurs, and we started doing these monthly get-togethers. And over time, we went from twenty, thirty people to, you know, about two to three hundred people as entrepreneurship took off in China. And that was really sort of the beginning of something, you know, bigger. As we started doing larger events and uh, building a huge community around entrepreneurship and and really the journey that an entrepreneur takes from starting a business all the way to exiting a business. And you know, so we had built a you know fifty thousand person community of entrepreneurs and people that serve the community of entrepreneurs. Uh, we were doing about hundred conferences a year. And realized that we couldn't go and couldn't grow beyond that if we didn't have technology. When we looked around the market, we realized that there wasn't any one solution that really fit what we needed. And, you know, at that time, that's when we decided that maybe we should look into building our own technology as, you know, as what Event Bank became. And that was the beginning of something new. And so that was really our our story of how we ended up trying to figure out, you know, what the problem was. Looking around the market and not seeing the solution and going and starting, you know, like I said, at that bank at the time in uh, 2014.
2: Wow. So so you really designed what is today GlueUp uh, as the solution for what you had created, which was kind of this Chamber of Commerce type association. You really, you, you personally experienced firsthand the need for the solution.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's any good B2B company is, is something based on the experience of the founders and then the pain that, you know, you can really build through. Um, I think it's very difficult to build a, you know, B2B software product if you don't really understand, you know, all the, the challenges that go behind what your customers are facing. And, uh, I think we've definitely experienced enough of that to be able to say, you know, we know what our customers are facing when they're going, you know, creating events and, and executing and trying to build a community
2: you know, of members and, and the people around that. Okay, Eric, tell us your thoughts on the future. You know, what is in store for Glue Up? Where are you looking to expand? Tell us about kind of your vision for this year and beyond.
0: Yeah, so for us this year, you know, big expansion right now going on for us in the United States. Uh, that's our, our really our strategic market now. When I moved back uh, two years ago, a little over two years ago now, we had three people in the U.S. and now, at least in the last three weeks, we've added about 20 people to our team here. So our team, at least now in the U.S., is somewhere around 45 people. So we've expanded pretty quick, um, really strategically for us. Uh, this is the most important market today. Uh, we know that we have a solution that meets uh, you know, the needs of our customers. Where maybe you know we can't say we couldn't say that you know probably three years ago, uh, but we spent a lot of time with our head down trying to build a great product. Make sure that we can serve customers anywhere, but even more so making sure our customers in the U.S. really you know, can use our product and enjoy it.
2: Are there any unique challenges that come, come along with that? You know, you've for, for a lot of our U.S. founders, you've kind of done the reverse of what they've done in terms of which markets they're looking to expand into.
0: Yeah, so one thing that we found, you know, as we were building internationally, the, the key thing that we would always hear was mobile. Right. How do we build a mobile product um, that our customers, prior to COVID, you know, they could use and they could, you know, manage their members, manage their events from a mobile device? Uh, that was a big thing because our our customers, you know, and their team members would sit in traffic for four hours a day, two hours to the office, two hours on the way back from the office. So how do you make that time productive? Well, hey, if I have a mobile app where I can help them manage their memberships from there, now I have something that you know, gives them a little bit of productivity. Um, same thing with events. Flip back to the US, if we look at, you know, again, COVID sort of changed those numbers a little bit because again, everybody's been in front of their computer at their homes for the last few years. So mobile hasn't become that, you know, really that important. But even back, you know, prior to COVID even in the US, was mobile was not a big thing that people were trying to use. Uh, we're hoping to see, you know, those numbers you know, pick back up as we you know, sort of get out of this, but that was a big adjustment. Trying to make sure that the whole experience, you know, really was very much on the web and how people were accessing it from their you know, their laptops or you know, desktops, from their home, from the office, you know, whatever it may be. But even you know, as we continue to think about it, really, what are those strategic items that we need to continue to, to innovate on and you know, make, it, make the product better? I think that's really uh, for us. You know, improving the product has always been on the top of mind. I like to think of myself as a, a product-driven CEO, and that's always, you know, for me, um, the most important thing. If we have a good product, you know, we can do a lot of things with it. If we don't, if the product isn't something our customers enjoy or, you know, want to buy, it's difficult to build a company after that. So, you know, very much for that.
2: Most definitely. And, and with the customers that you serve, you know, it's obviously... March of, almost April of 2022, at the time of this recording, you know, is kind of the, as far as you're concerned, and I understand none of us can predict, you know, things like global pandemics, much less the future, but, you know, in terms of the problems that your customers in particular face during 2020 and over the last two years, has that kind of, you know, fizzled out at this point in time, or are you still working with them for solutions that address kind of those issues?
0: So I think for us, we actually addressed a lot of the issues that they were facing at the time. So we're not dealing with so much of how do we continue to you know have our teams operate from anywhere, how do we have our events operate from anywhere. Now it's it's how do we think about the transition back to in person. We're already starting to see a huge, I would say, increase in number of in person events taking place. That's you know very clear that that's already you know in process. Um, you know everybody who's gone to an event the last probably three weeks which I think there are probably attended three of them myself is so happy to be out in front of people having conversations in person having a drink in person that that is a nice change for them and I think we'll start to see you know that continue to happen over the next you know three months with you know I would say large increases of in-person events that so will change those interactions the thing for us is how do we you know get people to adopt back to that sort of interaction how do we help you know bring new tools to market? That will help do, you know, sort of, I would say dovetail what they are doing offline, but keep some of those things online. Uh, we've recently, you know, are launching a new, a new product, uh, for you know, what we call Spark. Spark is a new thing that we're launching. Uh, and that's really to help some of the, the networking initiatives continue online because people are still not going back to their offices. And because of that, and again, people have been hired pretty rapidly over the last two years in many cases. Where they've never met, and so building companies. We talked about the the great resignation, if you will. How do we help keep companies together? And this tool sort of you know came out of COVID for our, our member-based customers who wanted to simulate some of the member member night events that they were hosting. Um, but as we've realized more recently, it's it's been hugely impactful for the companies to, to help them build culture internally. And um, you know that wasn't planned. You know I can't say that we thought of you know, that particular use case, um, but some very large companies are starting to work with our product on that side now to help them with their hybrid sort of work environment, but also to help bridge that gap where people can build relationships internally across departments um, that uh, might not be there after two years of working from home.
2: Right. And is that, you know, the great resignation, is that, is that a problem that, you know, even glue up itself is, is having to navigate as well, especially as you expand?
0: I think we've been, Lucky for the most part. Yeah, we've 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 lost some people. Of course, I think there's anybody that can say. But I think we've done the right things in being able to track a lot of the talent in the last couple of months where we've got some awesome new team members who are joining the team. Um they love what we're doing, um, they love the vision for the company. And um, you know, we've probably been a beneficiary um, you know, of that because of people what they see we're doing and, and our vision for the company.
2: Right on. Well, Eric Schmidt, it's been a delight having you on leaders of B to B today. You know, we've, we've covered a lot of great actionable things for our listeners today, uh, from learning about glue up to entering, you know, an emerging market. It's, it's really been a, a joy speaking with you. But before I let you go, and of course, We'll include links to glue up in in your outputs, Eric, your LinkedIn profile, for example, in the description of this episode. Uh, Any pieces of advice or final thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with today? Yeah, I think,
0: you know, it's always a challenge being an entrepreneur. Everybody, you know, we go through certain uh, road bumps over time. It's always an experience. And, you know, I'm always happy to talk to anybody that wants to reach out and, and have a chat and compare notes, because I think that's really how we grow as entrepreneurs and, you know, as a community of entrepreneurs, there's a lot of learnings that, uh, that we all go through and, you know, share as well. So it's, a uh, you know, pleasure you know, speaking with you and thanks for, uh, obviously, uh,
2: reaching out to us. Well, thanks so much, Eric. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.